Thank you for joining us for this week's message from the First Christian Church in Great Bend, Kansas. Each week we share thought-provoking and life-changing teachings on topics that are important and relevant to you in your life. We hope that you will be encouraged by our weekly podcast and will tune in regularly. Now let's join the First Christian Church of Great Bend for this week's message. So today we are starting what I consider to be a very important sermon series called Job and the Questions of Suffering. And what we're going to be doing in this series is we're going to be taking the next five weeks to walk through this beautifully strange, yet life-transforming ancient text to wrestle with and try to make sense of suffering. Why it happens, how we're called to respond, how do we care for others who are in the midst of suffering, but most importantly, to figure out where God fits when it comes to a world full of suffering. But before we get into what Job has to teach us about suffering, we first need to understand what kind of book Job is. So what you will find when you do a bit of research on this ancient text is that according to most modern day scholars, and this is also according to some ancient scholars as well, what the consensus is regarding this book is that this book is not a book that is intended to give us a literal account of what happened to a particular man named Job but instead is written as an ancient parable. A parable that is designed to help us wrestle with the big questions we all have regarding suffering. And the reason you need to know this is because if you want to understand all that Job has to teach, if you read it in a literal way, you're going to miss out on a whole bunch. And it's also going to lead you astray, which is something that we're going to see today. And another reason why this seems to be the case is if, if you know how your Bible is kind of lined up, there's, there's places where the histories are. So you've got Kings and Second Kings and Chronicles and all that. They're all in one section, which is the historical section. And then you have the writing section. And in the writing section, you will find the book of Job. And there's, I, now, I could go on and on about this stuff and give you all the background for it, but I don't want to bore you. Uh, if you're interested in it, please come and talk to me about it. I'd love to give you some more information on it. Um, or look it up online, whatever. You'll kind of see that this is the consensus. So, while keeping all of that in mind, let us now walk through the first two chapters of the parable of Job to uncover this gut-wrenching question this parable is asking of every single one of us regarding our relationship with God. So, it begins... There once was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. That man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. Or what we learn as this story opens up is there's this man named Job. And this guy is so good and so committed to God that the Bible says that he is blameless and upright. Right? But not only is he a righteous man, not only is he blameless and upright, he was also considered to be the Bill Gates of the ancient world. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He had 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camel, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkey, and very many servants. So that this man was the greatest of all the people in the East. And then just when you thought he couldn't get any more righteous and more blessed, we find that this guy is so committed to God that he does this for his children. His sons used to go and hold feasts in one another's houses in turn. And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the feast days had run their course, Job would send and sanctify them. 
And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be, notice that, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Or Job is so committed to God that because there is a chance that his children have sinned against God, he went out and offered these sacrifices just to make sure. Which means the picture we are given in the first couple of paragraphs of the book of Job is a picture of a man living a perfect life. Blameless, upright, and blessed. But now that we're given the picture of who Job is and what's going on in his life, the story shifts from what's going on in Job's life to the heavenly throne room. And it says this. One day the heavenly beings came to present themselves before the Lord. One day the heavenly beings came to present themselves before the Lord. Or what I think you, could, you should think of in this is think of a heavenly board meeting. Everybody's getting together and they're having a big meeting in the heavens. But the strange thing about this particular meeting is that among those servants is someone called Satan. And Satan also came among them. But before you get all worked up about God inviting the devil to join him in his throne room and all the strange implications that holds, right? What you need to know about this particular ancient text is that according to most scholars, this reference to Satan here is not actually referring to a being, the being that we think of as the devil named Satan, but it's actually referring to a title or position that is being held in the royal court. And the reason scholars think this is because, first of all, in Hebrew, the word that is translated as the name Satan is better translated as the title, the Satan. There's a definite article there. In Hebrew, it's Hasatan. Everybody say Hasatan. And Ha is like, Ha is the, right? So it's the Satan. Then secondly, there's evidence in the ancient world that many royal courts at that time had a position or a job that was similar to what it is the Satan does in the book of Job. And what this title tells us about what the Satan does is it literally interpreted the, the Satan means adversary, accuser, or tester. Adversary, accuser, or tester. Which then puts into perspective that the job of the Satan is to find people who claim to be faithful to God and then to act as their adversary or to act as their tester to see how faithful they really are. Or think of a spy or maybe a prosecuting attorney in our own way. It's a tester to see what's going on. Which, by the way, is exactly what we find the Satan doing in this parable. It continues. The Lord said to the Satan, Where have you come from? The Satan answered the Lord from going to and fro on the earth and walking up and down on it. The Lord said to the Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one like him on the earth. A blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Or what I want you to notice about this strange encounter between God and the Hasatan is not Satan who offers up Job to God. It's God who brings Job to the attention of the Hasatan. And basically what God is getting at when he's asked the Satan to consider Job is, hey, do you really think Job is faithful to me? Or do you really think Job loves me because I am his God? Or is there something else going on? And of course the Satan answers, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not put a fence around him and his house and all that he has on every side? 
You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand now. Touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. Or God, there's no question why this Job guy follows you. You've basically given him everything he wants and more. Who wouldn't follow a God who has been blessed in that particular way? But if you take all that away, he will curse you to your face. He will show his true colors. The Lord said to the Satan, very well. All that he has is in your power. Only do not stretch out your hand against him. So the Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Or basically, God gives the Satan permission to go out and take all of Job's blessings as a way of testing him to see how faithful he really is. And this is how the testing plays out. And it's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. One day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the eldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were feeding beside them. And the Sabaeans fell upon them and carried them off and killed the servants with the edge of the sword. I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another came and said, the fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another came and said, the Chaldeans formed three columns, made a raid on the camels and carried them off and killed the servant with the edge of the sword. I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another came and said, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the eldest brother's house. Suddenly a great wind came from across the desert and struck the four corners of the house and it fell on the young people and they are dead. I alone have escaped to tell you. So what this parable is doing here is it's giving us a picture of the worst case scenario, the nightmare happening to Job. And all to see how faithful Job really is. Take all that stuff away. Does Job still remain faithful? Is, is the question on the table. And amazingly, amazingly, and I can't say that I would do this. And I don't know if I've ever met anybody who would do this. But this is how Job responds. Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, and fell on the ground in worship. So he goes into an act of mourning. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin or charge God with any wrongdoing. That's right. Even though Job is in the midst of facing his worst case scenario, what we find is that he doesn't sin against God, but instead remains faithful by saying the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. How many of you would do that? I mean, he just did this amazing thing, remaining committed to God after the worst case scenario happens. So you would think, you would think he passed the test. He's done well, right? He has shown how faithful he is, but that's not what happens. What we find happening next is that as chapter 2 unfolds, again, they're in the heavenly throne room again. Everybody's gathered around. The Satan's there. And by the, but this time, instead of the Hasatan relenting and saying that he was wrong about Job, that Job is this incredible guy, he keeps pushing. He keeps pushing. He says, skin for skin. All that people have, they will give to save their lives. Only stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and flesh. And he will curse you to your face. Or in other words, if you really want to see 
If Job is faithful or not, God, what you need to do is you have to allow him to get sick to the point of death. Because when people get sick to the point of death, that's when they reveal their true colors. Then again, the Lord said to the Satan, very well, he is in your power. Only spare his life. So the Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and inflicted loathsome sores on Job from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. So surely now, after everything has been taken from him and he is now sick as a dog, right? He's got these boils all over his body, which means he can't sleep, he can't eat, he can't do nothing. There's nothing but misery. Surely now he's going to curse God. Surely now he's going to walk away from God. But that's not what happens. Then his wife said to him, and I love that his wife just kind of shows up here. Then his wife said to him, do you still persist in your integrity? Curse God and die. That's not funny to you guys. The wife just shows up and says, curse. This has happened to her too, right? But he said to her, you speak as any foolish woman would speak. Shall we receive the good at the hand of God and not the bad? Shall we receive the good at the hand of God and not receive the bad? And all this Job did not sin with his lips. Or Job, even though his wife tells him to curse God and die because that's how horrible things have gotten. Amazingly, after all Job has been through, he never curses or sins against God, which ultimately reveals that Job really doesn't worship and serve God because of what he gets out of the relationship. He worships and serves God because he actually loves God, which is absolutely remarkable. So how many of you, if you could picture the worst case scenario going on in your life, would respond like Job? How many of you like being, blessed be the name of the Lord? Now we're going to find that he does this in the first two chapters. He gets a little mouthy later on kind of deal. There's some suffering and stuff going on there. But how many of you would respond in that way? How many of you would respond with faith and not walk away? I mean, it's absolutely amazing to think about what Job is doing here. Okay, so now that we have had a chance to encounter the strangeness of the first two chapters of Job, ultimately what I believe, this parable is trying to get us to wrestle with the question that underlies everything is this. Do we worship and serve God because of what we get? Or do we worship and serve God because we really do love God? Let that sink in for a moment. Do we worship and serve God because of what we get? Or do we worship and serve God because we really love God? Or maybe I need to say it in this way. Do you love God because he is God? Or do you just use God for the benefits? The power, the protection, the comfortable life, the afterlife, what it is that God can do for you. And the reason why this is such an important question is because just like with any relationship, think marriage, friendship, family, if you're only in it for what you can get out of it, then it's really no relationship at all. It's just you using someone else to get what you want. And so the parable of Job, by forcing us to ask this question, is trying to get us to understand that if we are Christians or if we are a people who follow God because of what we get out of it, because it's a selfish thing, then we've missed the point. We've missed the point. And this is kind of the twist that happens here in this question. Where is God in the midst of suffering? How are we supposed to respond to God? The, the, the answer to that question is, is it doesn't matter if you are suffering or if life is great. 
Your relationship with God should not be based on what is going on in your life. Because if it's based on what's going on in your life, then the reason you are worshiping God is to get something out of it. Does that make sense? It's a really profound thing, but it's, it's kind of a little nuance there. Or think about it in this way. For those of you who have been married, what if you only loved your spouse because of what you got out of the relationship? How long would that relationship last? About, what did I get over here? Two weeks? About two days? Okay, about two days. Thanks for listening, though. That makes me feel good. I got one. For, we're good now. We got it, John. No, love, a loving relationship is about choosing someone for who they are. And ultimately what the book of Job is trying to get us to see in this parabolic way is that you are to choose God for God no matter what happens to you in your life. That's the key. That's the key. Now, there's a whole bunch of other questions that are wrapped up into that, and we're going to get into that in the next couple of weeks. But that's the foundational piece. So let me leave you guys with this question. And I really hope you'll take some time and wrestle with it and look at your own lives. Do you honor worship and serve God because of what you get? Or do you honor worship and serve God because you actually love God? Let us pray. Father, we come before you this morning, and there's no doubt this is a crazy, strange, wonderful, fantastic book. And it hits us with a bomb just right off the bat. This this question, God, such a hard question. Do, Do we really worship you because you're our God and we love you, you know, for yourself? Or are we just in this thing for ourselves? And as we go out this week, Lord, I pray that this will be something that sticks in our mind. And if we don't have things right... If we have been doing this relationship in selfish ways, I pray that you would help us to change that. I pray that you would help us to learn to love you, learn to be in relationship with you in all times and all places that's not dependent on what happens, whether good or bad, but instead we just learn to love you for you. Lord, we ask this all in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Please join in, fill my cup, Lord. So as we gather together at the table of God as the people of God, it is my hope that as we join together at the pinnacle of our service, that you'll not only experience the grace, mercy, love, and presence of God at this table, but you'll take a moment to ask that question. Why do you worship and serve God? Is it because you really love God or because of what you get? Because the way you answer that question 
will tell in big part how you deal with suffering and blessing in this world. So on the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread. He blessed it and he broke it. He said, take, eat, this is my body broken for you. In the same manner after dinner, he then took the cup and he blessed it. And he says, this is the new covenant poured out in my blood for the forgiveness of all sins. Every time we eat this bread and drink this cup, we do so in remembrance of our Lord. Let us pray. Father, we come to you this morning. And the reason we gather at this table every single week is because we long for your grace, mercy, forgiveness, love, life, and all of those things. We long for your presence to be palpable in our midst. So Lord, as we partake of this sacred ritual, open us up to your presence in our midst. And Lord, while we are sitting in your midst, help us to wrestle with this question. Why do we worship and serve you? It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. You are invited back next week for another life-changing message from the First Christian Church of Great Bend, Kansas. Please check out our website at www.fccgbk.com. That's fccgbk.com. May you have a blessed week.